0: Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Devoted. Are you a fully devoted follower of Jesus? In this series, we will consider where we spend most of our time, energy, and money, believing that what we're devoted to says something about our identity, where we belong, and how we view our purpose in life. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Good morning again. We are bringing this series called Devoted to a conclusion today. We've been looking at what does it mean to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. If we're called to believe in Jesus and to follow him, then he said, listen, I want you to follow you with all my heart, excuse me, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, to be fully devoted. So in preparation for this last message, would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you've demonstrated to us what full devotion looks like. We see it in Jesus, and we know that you call us to be fully devoted. So we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So last weekend, I don't know if you saw the news, but uh, the graduates of Morehouse College were uh, given a stunning gift. All of their college debt was wiped away by the commencement speaker. Anybody surprised and shocked when you saw that kind of generosity? Amazing. He made a gift of dollars, $40, $40 million, and uh, uh, that wiped out the debt for 396 students. And they all talked about, you know, how they want to pay it forward. You know, the reality is that we have a God who is even more generous than that. We have a God who has demonstrated his generosity to us. We have a God who is a giver. He gives indiscriminately. Remember these words from Scripture, probably a verse that everybody knows. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God is a giver. So let's recognize some things about God's generosity. God's giving is inclusive. He gave to the entire world. God's giving is transformational. It makes a difference in our eternal destinations. God's giving is without conditions. God's giving is a no-strings-attached kind of giving. God gave and expected expected nothing in return. Now, that same kind of generosity was what the early church was known for. In fact, in the first century, Christians had nothing. They didn't have church buildings. They didn't have a voice in the greater culture. They were persecuted. And yet, historians tell us that what gave the Christians influence in the first century and beyond was not their wealth, they didn't have any, was not their theology because the reality was most of the culture couldn't understand this theology about a God who came to earth and died. What gave them influence was their no strings attached generosity. They gave, they gave from their own wealth or little wealth they had, they gave compassion They gave deeply from themselves like they recognized they had been given to by God. In fact, they learned this from Jesus. You know, the the disciples passed down what they learned. Those men and women passed down what they learned from Jesus to each, each generation. And it passed on and on. And this is what they learned from Jesus. Jesus said these very words. No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other. Or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Those early Christians decided that Jesus was their Lord and master and that they were going to serve him with full devotion. Now, it's interesting to me to think about that. You know, when, when, when you think about Jesus saying that you can't serve two masters, you're really thinking about two people in your head. But Jesus drives down this this way and he says, listen, ultimately... You can't serve God and money because what he recognizes is that from the beginning of time, wealth, money, whatever you want to call it, can become a God in our lives, lowercase G. So as fully devoted followers of Jesus, these people made Jesus their master and they followed his teaching. Once when Jesus and his disciples were about to share a meal together, we read that Jesus was aware of this truth, that God had put all things under his power. In other words, he recognized that he was omnipotent, all-powerful. And realizing that he was the most powerful person in the room as they gathered for this meal, he wanted to teach his followers a lesson that they would never forget. And so he got up from the table and he went and he got a towel and a basin and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. Now this was shocking, probably rather uncomfortable for this reason. In the first century a slave would be assigned to wash the feet of those who came and ate in a home. Because when you traveled by foot most of the time, your feet would be dirty, and when you went in to eat at a meal, you didn't eat at a table that's, what, three and a half, four feet high like we eat at. You reclined at a table that was probably less than two feet off the ground, and so your feet would be in close proximity of the person sitting next to you, and if your feet were dirty and smelly Or worse, that wouldn't be very appetizing. And so it was the job of the person with the least amount of power and authority to wash the feet of the guests. But there had been no slave provided to wash the feet. And Jesus took on that role. He realized as the most powerful person in the room that he could use his power, that he could leverage it for the benefit of the others. And this is what he said after he had washed their feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. See, when you realize that you have something that can benefit others, you use it for their benefit. That something could be your time, it could be your talent, it could be your resources, it could be your power. When you use what you have for the benefit of others, that's generosity. And Jesus taught this. In the Gospel of Luke, he said, If you love those who love you, what credit is that for you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, being generous to those who are generous to you is something everybody does. It's not extraordinary. It's normal. In fact, there's this kind of unspoken assumption that this is, if I help you, you'll help me. In other words, that if someone's generous to you, they'll be generous back to you. You'll be generous back to them. So, Jesus was never satisfied with the status quo and he was always raising the bar and this is what he said to them. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. He's raising the bar about what generosity looks like. He says generosity looks like giving with no strings attached. It looks like helping with not expecting someone to help you back. It looks like not really lending, but giving something to somebody, knowing they're not going to give it back. And then look what he says next. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. So be merciful just as your father is merciful. Jesus is saying when you and I are generous, that looks like what God does. That our Heavenly Father is generous. And so when we're generous, we look like Him. We are children of God. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. So when we begin to live like God, we look like God's children. That's a pretty high compliment. History records that those fully devoted followers of Jesus followed him and his teaching. And they followed it and it changed the world. Historian Rodney Stark writes about the history of Christian generosity in his book, The Rise of Christianity. And he says this, in the pagan world, mercy was regarded as a character defect. Christianity taught that mercy is one of the primary virtues, that a merciful God requires humans to be merciful. Moreover, that because God loves humanity, Christians may not please God unless they love one another. And that concept was incompatible with pagan convictions. But it wasn't just talk. In the year 251, the Bishop of Rome wrote a letter to the Bishop of Antioch in which he mentioned that the Roman congregation was supporting 1,500 widows and other financially distressed people. And that was not unusual for the early church. In in the year 98, Ignatius, Bishop of Antioch, advised Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna, to be sure to provide special support for widows, And in a letter to another church leader, we read how that worked. There is no buying or selling of any sort of the things of God. Once a month, if a person likes, each puts in a small donation, but only if it would be their pleasure and only if they are able. For there is no compulsion. All is voluntary. It's interesting that we read in the fourth century The Roman Emperor Julian, he wanted to restore the pagan religion to the Roman Empire. And so he ordered all the pagan priests to start to compete with the generosity of Christians. And in a letter to those pagan priests, he noted this. He said, the Christians, in addition to supporting their own poor, support our poor too. And is it any surprise that during that part of history... Christianity increased and paganism decreased. You see, when people came to faith in Jesus, they discovered that God loved them and that God gave his son for them even when they didn't believe in Jesus. They saw the no-strings-attached generosity of God, and when they followed the teachings of Jesus who told them they were supposed to live lives of no strings attached generosity like God they followed his teaching so as followers of Jesus Christ who live in the year 2019 which is in a very materialistic culture we have to ask ourselves is Jesus the master that we are fully devoted to so how do we live in this culture and not become mastered by its values? How do we live in this culture and be generous like God is generous? Well, we take, we take our teachings from Jesus and we follow them. And here's a couple of foundational truths from Scripture. As Christ followers, we believe that everything Comes from God and everything belongs to God. So think that through. Everything you have comes from God. Since it comes from God, it's a blessing. Great or small, whatever it is, it's a blessing. So, you know, I'm talking about everything. I'm not just talking about your income and wealth. I'm not just talking about your job. I'm talking about every material thing you have, but not just those things. I'm talking about your relationships. In your family, with your kids, with your parents, with your extended family, with your neighbors, with with those people you work with, those people you go to school with. I'm talking about the things that God has given you within yourself that make you unique. Your personality, your talents, your skills, the spiritual gifts that you've been given. God has given you all of those things. He's entrusted them to you. And he says, I want you to manage these things and take care of them while you're on earth. God has blessed us with everything. But let's focus on that one area that's probably the hardest thing for us to apply God's principles to, our wealth. God has blessed us with whatever income we have. And God wants us to take care of it just like he wants us to take care of everything. And he entrusts us, to use it really for two main purposes: to take care of people and to take care of the kingdom of God. So if you're saying, what about all those other things in life like houses and cars, etc.? Well, quite frankly, those things are tools that He's given us to help us take care of people and the kingdom of God. So taking care of people in God's kingdom would include us taking care of those tools so we can use them for the purposes that He's created us for. So How do we do this? Because it seems like most people in our culture, in our world, live up to their level of income or live over their level of income. So, you know, living up or over to our income seems to put needless self-imposed pressure on us. And while living without financial margins seems to be normal, for followers of Jesus, we have to recognize that that prevents us from living out, God's purposes and calling on our lives. So what if there was another way to manage the wealth that God has entrusted to us? Well, there is. There is a different way, and it's far different from our culture, and it's God's way. When God gave Israel the law, the Torah it's called, it included the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, Leviticus. Um, it included those five books, and in that, God shared with Israel how to manage their wealth. God gave them this concept of the tithe. The tithe literally means one-tenth, and this is what God said with regard to managing their wealth. He said, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. God's describing this concept that however we make our wealth, one-tenth of it belongs to God, whether you receive it in cash or whether you receive it in crops or from new animals in your flocks and herds. He's saying, this belongs to me. And he says, the purpose of the tithe was to honor God. Now, the purpose of the tithe is, is both spiritual and practical. So let me share with you the spiritual purpose. It can be summed up in this one scripture the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. So the idea of the tithe is you give the first tenth of your wealth to God. And God teaches you to put him first and to trust him so that you can live on the rest. It teaches you to watch God take the 90% that remains and do everything you need to in your life. But ultimately it teaches us to trust God and to obey his teaching. Now, practically speaking, the tithe provides for the needs of God's kingdom. The the tithe provided for those who served in full-time ministry. And practically speaking, tithing teaches Christ followers discipline. It teaches us to live with margin. It teaches us to budget. It teaches us to, to make sure that we don't spend up to or over our income. Now, when I teach about tithing, somebody always asks me, what did Jesus say about tithing? Some people will say that that Jesus actually didn't even support tithing, but nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, Jesus did speak about tithing. He spoke about it one time, but what he said makes it very clear what he believed and why he didn't speak about it again. So let me read what he said from the Gospel of Matthew. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint. And anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. In his own words, Jesus is validating the practice of tithing as normal. As what's, as what's expected. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees that he is talking about also believe that the tithe is normal. But they are so legalistic in their keeping of the law that they not only tithe of their wealth, they tithe of the harvest from their herb gardens. They, they take a, a tenth of their herbs and they give it. But here's the deal. They're, they're so... Black and white on following the law, that when it comes to the much more significant, weightier issues of justice and mercy and faith, they don't practice it. They don't practice it like it should. He says, Listen, you know, you ought to have done, in other words, tithed, without leaving the others undone justice, mercy, and faith and, and he's challenging them because they see the law as black and white and they keep it but when life gets a little gray neither black and white in determining how to love God with all your heart soul and mind and to love others like you want to love yourself they're failing in mercy and justice and faith so Jesus is validating the practice of diving. He's, he's validating and saying it's normal, but he's calling the disciples, the Pharisees, and us to a higher understanding of what it means to follow him. This other way of managing money that God's word revealed to us is reverse from the self-centered order of spending that's normal in our world. You see, our normal pattern is to spend what you make on yourself, and if you have any left over, save some of that, and if you have any left over from that, give some. But that mode of living says, I put myself first, and I rely on my wealth to take care of me, instead of saying, I put God first, and I trust God to take care of me. It reinforces what it means to have faith in God as you give the tithe to God and trust Him that you can live on the rest, the 90%. I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Uh, I've taken the class, and as a church, we offer that class every year. And the biggest takeaway I've learned when I took Financial Peace years ago was that I need to make sure that I take control of my wealth and spending instead of letting my spending and my wealth take control of me in other words I need to recognize that this is just a tool that God's given me and I don't need to spend it willy-nilly without actually thinking about how I want to spend it you know the irony is this when we decide to be generous we're being like God and when we decide to be generous first we're actually creating a plan and taking control Of our wealth and spending. Now, this concept didn't originate with Dave Ramsey and Financial Peace University. Look at what the Apostle Paul said about taking control of your money. He wrote to the church in Corinth. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no other collections will have to be made. In other words, he's saying, make a plan to be generous. Set it aside and live on the rest. He's saying, listen, I'm going to call you to support the work of the ministry, the kingdom of God, so make a plan to support it. Let me share with you how in 2019, Christians in other parts of the world are doing this. Uh, Churches in the northeastern Indian uh, of India, in the northeastern part of India, have a beautiful phrase for how they express how they give to God. It's called buffet tam, and it means one handful of rice at a time. You see, they have this practice that that Families who are believers of Jesus, every time they prepare a meal, they'll take one handful of rice or more and they'll set it aside. And when they've gathered enough rice, they bring it to the church and then the church sells it to generate income. And One person writes about this and said, you know, there's many ways of serving the Lord. Some people do great things. Some people are great preachers. Some people contribute lots and lots of money. But when we talk about this handful of rice, it's very humble. The service is done in the corner of the kitchen where nobody sees but God. And God knows and blesses it. Another church member said this, it is not our riches or our poverty that make us serve the Lord, but our willingness So we say, as long as we have something to eat every day, we have something to give to God every day. And think that through. That that brings that devotion to God down to a practical level. Every time a meal is made, they set aside some for God's use, to be used to serve others and to build his kingdom. In the first century, the Apostle Paul discovered this kind of great generosity toward the mission of jesus christ and what he discovered was twofold he discovered that there were followers of jesus who both prioritized by putting god first and who planned on giving to god and this is what he wrote about them to another church he said brothers and sisters we want you to know about the grace that god has given the macedonian churches in the midst of very severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us they prioritized their giving they gave to God first and then they Learn to live on the rest. So, as a fully devoted follower of Jesus, how will you handle your worldly wealth? Will you use it, handle it the way the world uses it and handles it, or you handle it God's way? Will you trust Him in this area of life, in this this rather personal and private area where we always have that tension? Remember what Jesus said. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So will you be devoted to God or this culture of money? You know, as we wrap up this message and wrap up this series, what I want us to understand is that God has called us to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. That that being a follower of Jesus is not something that we segregate to one hour a week on a Sunday morning. That being a fully devoted follower of Jesus is what we do every moment of every day of our lives. That it determines how we love, how we care, how we serve How we speak, how we spend, how we live our lives. So, as we draw this series to a close, I want to encourage you in this prayer time to to talk to God about how you're going to live your life. Will you be fully devoted to Him? Will you seek to follow Him? Look, this doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We'll make mistakes. And with Jesus, we can always ask for forgiveness, and He'll forgive us, and we can start back again. But he calls us to be fully devoted to him just like he's fully devoted to us. What will you do? I'm going to start us off in some prayer time and then I'm just going to go silent. And in that silent prayer, I give you the opportunity to talk to God about being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So let's pray. Father, as we come to the conclusion of this message and series We understand your full, sold-out devotion to us. And the calling that you have on everyone who believes in Jesus to accept him as Savior and Lord, as Master, and to follow him. And so, Lord, we know about your grace that you forgive us when we make mistakes as we seek to be fully devoted. So now, Lord, hear our prayer, our honest, open prayer to you about being fully devoted followers of Jesus. Lord, we commit these prayers to you in Jesus' name.